You are listening to the Impact Church Podcast. To learn more about Impact Church, visit us online at impactharlem.org. You can also check us out on social media. All right, well, this morning we're going to continue our series Inside Out. We've been studying the book of James, and uh, I don't know about y'all, but I've been blessed by the series. The book of James is probably my favorite book in the Bible. It's an easy read, but it fills so much, right? Like it, it covers so much for how we're supposed to live as Christians, as Christ followers. So it's one you can sit down and if you're a, if you're a good reader, you can just read and just, you know, 30 minutes tops, you know, if you want to really, really dissect it, you just, you know, you can spend an afternoon on it. But man, it's such a good book, and we've been diving through it. Last week, Pastor Dustin just absolutely tore up chapter 3. He did a great job. He talked about what it means to fill our hearts with the proper type of wisdom. Every week, every day, every moment of our lives, uh, we're surrounded by, by people trying to pour into us. And a lot of times when that happens, it's, it's worldly wisdom that James in chapter 3 calls false wisdom. Um, he calls it vile. He calls it demonic. And if we're not careful, we let that wisdom seep into our life and we begin to subscribe to it and live by it. And James tells us we shouldn't do that. We should live by real, true, godly wisdom. So things like television, movies, politics, just the workplace, friendships, the world just tries to pump this false wisdom into us. But James goes on to talk about the real wisdom, and it's wisdom from God's Word. And it's peaceable, it's pure, it's gentle, it's merciful, it's impartial and sincere. And after the sermon, Dustin gave the opportunity for people to respond to the gospel. And we had two folks give their life to Jesus last week, and we want to celebrate that, so let's give them a round of applause. Um, we have baptism in a couple weeks, and hopefully we get to see and celebrate uh, baptism with them uh, in just a couple weeks. But I say all that in the line of saying, yeah, Dustin did a great job of presenting the gospel. This series has been a blessing, but I really believe God's moving here at Impact. And uh, God's been doing some great things, and... I just got to say that where God's moving, you want to be in the room, right? You want to be in the presence of that. So be here, make it a point to continue to dive in with us. And that's kind of what we're talking about a little bit today in James chapter 4, is kind of the community of of church and how to work together. So go ahead, we're going to be in James chapter 4. If you want to turn to your Bibles, uh, your phones, however you, however you go about it, turn to James chapter 4. And while you do that, uh, I want to read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16. And it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So, I say that because most books written have an audience that the author is speaking to. Uh, they'll say a, a specific church, or they'll say uh, this group of people. And that's what James does. He says, to the twelve, in chapter 1, he says, to the twelve dispersed, or to the twelve tribes dispersed. And a lot of the times when you see the twelve tribes dispersed, it's talking about Jewish Christians and uh, people, especially 
in that time had a hard time kind of setting aside some of the uh, ritualistic practices of their faith that Jesus fulfilled and that were no longer necessary uh, because Jesus fulfilled them. And, um, you know, we, you see it throughout the New Testament. You'll see the apostles write these books about, or these uh, passages about, um, it's not Jesus plus this. It's not Jesus plus that. It's not Jesus plus a, a ritual or a practice. It's Jesus. It's by grace and grace alone that you're saved. And uh, a lot of times you see the audience, and the audience being uh, Jewish Christians here. Most books in the New Testament directed to a specific person or people group. The authors know these groups, and they're imparting godly wisdom on them. But I read Second uh, Timothy to remind us that regardless of the audience, each book was directed to specifically the word is full of life and godly wisdom. It is a living word. It's good for profitable, te- profitable for teaching, reproof, and for correction, training, righteousness. It's good for all of us. It's always applicable. And I feel like James, going into chapter four, he really kind of tears down any directive and just hits us directly. Like anyone, anywhere can relate to James four. You don't have to be a Jewish Christian back in, you know, those days, you can be right here, and most scripture and all scriptures like that. But you, this is really plain wordage that James is using. So he does three things here: he diagnoses a problem, and then he gives a solution, and then he gives a directive. He gives a, a safeguard against that problem. So we're going to read the passage together: James four verses one through twelve. So it says, "What causes quarrels among you, and what causes fights among you?" Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You deserve and do not have, or you desire and you do not have, so you murder, you covet, and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he made to dwell within us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. But there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge your neighbor? Let's pray real quick. God, we just thank you for your word here. We thank you for uh, the message you laid on James's heart to write in this book. And Lord, it's written very plainly for us to understand. It's very simple. So God, as we dive into it this morning, I pray that you would reveal to us in a very practical and simple way what you have for us this morning. So hide me behind the cross. I don't want any of my personal agendas or goals or thoughts about this to come out. I just want your truth to come out and be heard. So we're going to trust you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I said earlier, uh, James in chapter 4 had three directives. He saw an issue, 
So he identified the problem, he provided a solution to the problem, and he provided a safeguard against the problem. So the first thing he does, identify what's wrong, he diagnoses the problem. So that's my first point, is the problem. And that's verses 1 through 5. So what's the problem? Essentially, he's saying, what's wrong with you people? What's going on? God tries to give you these things, and you keep messing them up. God gives you a passion, but you don't know how to handle your emotions and your passions, so you cause fights amongst each other. God gives you a desire for more, but because you look at it from a worldly lens, you end up killing each other. He actually says you murderers. God's willing to bless you, to give you great things, but you ask with a crooked heart bent towards doing things in a worldly manner and leveraging those things for sin rather than good. James goes as far to call the audience adulterers. And he says that if you continue to align yourselves with the fleshly and worldly desires, you'd be considered an enemy of God. He uses pretty harsh language. So I'm going to try to soften it up just a little bit and, um, and break it down for us. Are there any fans of the show The Office? All right, we got a couple. Um, got a few in here. Pastor Daniel is a fan of The Office. Uh, I would never call myself like a, a fan fan of The Office. I've never sat down and like binge watched it. I've seen clips and stuff on social media that just make me laugh and that I can definitely relate to. Uh, but there's a one of my favorite clips, and I'll actually say this often to my kids. It's probably not great parenting. But one of my favorite clips I feel like James can relate to when he's saying this, when he's, when he's in chapter four and he's like, come on guys, like you do all this stuff wrong. I'm trying to do something good here or God's trying to do something good here, but you just keep messing it up. So until I give it completely away, I'm going to let Sally show the video. Why are you the way you are? Honestly, every time I try to do something fun or exciting, you make it not that way. I hate so much about the things that you choose to be. I feel like that's what James is saying. Why are you the way that you are? I feel like James could completely relate to Michael Scott there. I feel like he could completely relate to what's happening. Why are you the way that you are? Why is it that every time that God tries to do something cool for you, you make it not that way? How true is this for us, though? We may not kill someone. We may not commit adultery in literal form. Um, but often we just don't understand how to hold our, handle our emotions. God gives us these passions and these visions and these dreams sometimes of, of what our, what we want our lives to look like. But instead of, of working with a group of people to make those things happen, to make those things reality, we dig our heels in and we make them about us and it ends up causing fights and quarrels amongst us. We refuse to accept wisdom and directions from other people to accomplish the dreams. And when we dig our heels in, we become selfish, and that selfishness will lead to dissension and quarreling. We ask God for great things. How many of you have ever prayed for something amazing and just expected it? That's, we're encouraged to do so, but we're encouraged to pray for things in, in light of the will of God, in light of the gospel. We pray out of situations. We beg God to get out of situations. But James 1 tells us that we should relish those situations that are difficult because God is doing a great work in those moments. He's drawing us closer to Him. What's the condition when we ask God to move, when we ask God to do something? Is it 
Is our motive, our agenda about selfish things? And when it is that way, we can expect a hard no from God. So here's the thing. God gives us these dreams, these visions, but God never intends on us to be the sole proprietors of that dream. Understand that God exists Himself within community. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God exists Himself in community. Not individually, but in community. When Jesus came down the earth, He did ministry in community. He never did it alone. He surrounded Himself with others. And then you look at the church of Acts, and it was a community. If you guys have been here long enough, you probably heard one of the pastors say this. I know I've heard uh, Dustin say it a few times. And it's a cheesy quote that is probably quoted in like a hundred different corporate offices all around the world. Uh, but teamwork makes the dream work. And that's what, that's what James is saying here. He's like, you guys have to do this together. If you don't do it together, you're just bickering, you're fighting, and it's not going to work. You're not going to see the fullness. God's plans are so much more than we can ever think or imagine. If we try to accomplish everything ourselves, we will never experience the fullness of what God has in store for us. If we try to accomplish everything ourselves, we'll never experience the fullness of what God has in store for us. Ephesians 3.20. I'm going to read the NIV version. It says, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we all we can ask or imagine according to His power that is at work within us to Him who is able to do immeasurably more. So we have these visions, we have these dreams, and, and we want to see things done a certain way, and we dig our heels in and it ends up causing fights because we make it about our dreams when we realize that if we just release those things to God, He can do immeasurably more absolutely way beyond anything that we could ever think or imagine, anything that we could dream up. In fact, I would go to as, as far to say that the dreams that are on your heart and the visions that are on your heart are not, are not brought into your heart by you alone. God puts these, these hopes and dreams into our hearts for something to work towards. So in James 1-5, through 5, He says, you guys have a problem. You're too focused on yourselves to accomplish what God has in store for you. You guys bicker, you fight, you look like the world. And when you act like the world, you align yourself with those who are enemies of God. When I preached a couple weeks ago, we talked about the evidence of faith being in our works. That works isn't a means of salvation, but it's rather the evidence of a life changed, right? James here is saying to these folks, you align yourself with the world, and when you do that, you become an enemy of God. When you look so much like the world, you're missing evidence of your faith. You're missing things. And when you're apart from God, and you're covered in sin, and not covered by the blood, God can't be with sin. It's just simple. That's the one thing He can't do. So you become an enemy, or you look like an enemy of God. So we have a problem here. What's the solution? James gives us the solution in verses 6 through 10. I love verse 6. But he gives more grace. 
He gives more grace. So whatever the problem is, no matter how deep the problem is, no matter how deep into the woods you may have walked, no matter how much you've dug your heels in, how arrogant you are, God is able to overcome that. He gives more grace. He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, double-minded. Be wretched, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning, and let your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. So what's the solution? We humble ourselves before God. What does humbling look like? Every time I preach, you're probably going to hear me give a definition. I love taking these words and these these catalyst words and going back and saying, all right, what does it mean? What does it mean? Merriam-Webster defines humble as this, not proud or haughty, not arrogant. And then my favorite definition, this was like definition two, a spirit of deference or submission. That's what we have to do. That's what James is talking about. We have to defer and submit to God. So the way we submit to Jesus is we have to first grasp why we need to submit to Him in the first place. If we don't truly understand why we need to submit to God in the first place, we'll never truly submit to God. I think sometimes people will submit, quote-unquote, for fire insurance. And I just want to put this on the record to say, if you submit, quote-unquote, to God just to get out of hell, you miss the whole point. People will, will hear a, a, a sermon, and I think you should totally preach on hell. You preach the whole, the whole counsel of the Word. Um, but people will hear a, a sermon on hell, and they'll just get scared. And they'll react out of self-preservation rather than a life truly changed by the gospel and by the grace of God. I really just feel that if anyone in this room has ever made a decision out of self-preservation, like a get-out-of-hell-free card kind of thing, and looked at Jesus that way, I want to have a conversation with you about that. I want to talk to you a little bit about that later or sometime here in the, fu- in the future. But if we truly humble ourselves and submit to God, we recognize who He is in light of who we are. We're not just scared of hell, but we recognize who He is and who we are. The way we submit to Jesus is we have to first grasp why we need to submit to Him in the first place. That's why James is saying, Be wretched, mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. We can't submit to God unless we first realize how incapable we are on our own. And once we come to the realization, we will humble ourselves properly by properly recognizing who He is and how holy He is. So let's take a quick look at one of my favorite uh, examples of humbling. Go back to the book of Job in the Old Testament. Towards the end of the book, Job 38, Job and God are kind of going back and forth a little bit. And uh, God just kind of lays it out for Job. And then Job's like, oh, I, I get it. I get it now. I understand. So Job 38, and this is God speaking. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? He's talking to Job. Tell me, if you have understanding... Who determined its measurements? Surely you'll know. On what were its bases sunk? Who laid the cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy, 
Who shut the seas with doors when it burst from the womb? Who made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling bands? And prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far you shall come and no further. Here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began? And caused the dawn to know its place? And God just goes on and on and on. He says, have you done this? Are you responsible for these things? See, he was revealing to Job the, who Job was in light of who he was. You see, if we don't understand what all God has done and done for us, we'll never be able to fully humble ourselves before Him. And in chapter 42, Job repents and he humbles himself. He says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I've uttered what I don't understand, things too wonderful for me which I didn't know. Hear and I'll speak and I'll question you and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now I see you with my eyes. Therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Job finally gets the fullness of God. And when we truly understand the fullness of God, we understand how deeply and desperately we need Him. And that's what James is saying. Verse 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Submit yourself to God. Job was coming at God with a spirit of deference and submission. This is you. This is all you. I can't do anything on and on myself. This comes with a promise though. This, this solution comes with a promise, comes with an outcome. And that is verse 7, the end. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. See, the, understand, the more we fill up with God's Word, the more we pour God's holiness into our lives and we surround ourselves with godly influence, godly wisdom, and we pour His Word and, and meditate on His Word, the more we fill up with that, the less room that the devil has to work. The less room there is for worldliness to get in there. And that's what James is saying. Resist and the devil will flee from you. Fill up. Submit yourselves to God. Fill up with God. And the devil won't have room to work. And by the way, just as Ephesians 3.20 said, God went on to turn after Job repented and humbled himself before God and accepted the blessings of God truly. God blew Job's mind away. He completely replaced everything that Job had ever lost. Most things double fold. So here in James 4, James identifies an issue within the church. He offers a solution. And then he goes on to offer a defense to make sure it didn't sneak back up. And that's the safeguard. Uh, verses 11 and 12. Do not speak evil against one another. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and one judge. He is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge your neighbor? Again, it's understanding who we are in light of who God is. That's what James is saying here. Go back to verses 11 and 12 on the screen. Right here, he kind of breaks that, that plain talk that everyone can understand where he brings up the law. He, he starts relating 
to the, the audience that he's talking to. And we have to understand that the law is what the, what Jewish folks and the Jewish faith, they, just, they subscribe to wholly. They lived by it. And he was saying that if you are judging your brother, you're not just judging them. You're judging the law that they are trying to live by. You're judging the law. But there's only one lawgiver and one judge, and that's God. That's what he's saying. That's God. You are aligning. Once you do that, you are aligning yourself with God. Once you're, you're judging over someone's life, you are aligning yourself to God. But God is able to save and destroy. Who are we to judge our neighbor? We're not called to judge one another or speak evil of one another or about one another. But what we're called to do is to sharpen each other with God's Word. We're called to build one another up. God will judge. Our job is to love our neighbor as ourself. The greatest commandment. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. We speak truth in love. We live in a way that honors God and that others can see a life change. If we continue to see each other as God does, we can see the potential in each other. And when we see the potential in each other, we'll support the dreams and the visions of others. And I'm going to go as far to say that when we support the dreams and visions of others, when we work as a team, God will make dreams and visions come true throughout that whole organization, that whole group, that whole team, that whole church. I think that's what James is saying here. You guys are bickering so much. You're supposed to be a church. And because you're just digging your hand, your, your heels into the ground, you're missing everything. You're missing what God can do for you. And when God does something great for you, it's going to be awesome. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. That's what he's doing. That's what James is saying. So humble ourselves before God. Humble ourselves before Him and let His, once we do that, we let His will be done. And as Ephesians 3 says, it's greater than we could ever think of or imagine. So I'm going to close with this. I mentioned earlier that I truly believe that God is moving here at Impact Church. I said earlier that where God is moving, there's a sense of oneness and a sense of unity, and you want to be in the room. You want to experience that. There are people partnering together for one purpose. And here at Impact, that one purpose is this. It's for people to know God's love, grow in God's love, and show God's love to the world. That's where it all starts. That's where every bit of this starts. Everything we do is about that purpose. For people to know God's love, to grow in His love, and to show His love to the world. There's going to be moments where there's bickering because once you're in a group, I mean... Things, things are going to clash sometimes, uh, but as, uh, we can't be defined by that, right? We can't be defined by that. And that's what James is saying. You can't let this define you. You can't let your own agendas and your own selfishness create quarrels and fights amongst you. As long as we, we keep away from that, I think God's going to continue to bless us. And I'm going to promise you this from, uh, from the pastors here, myself, uh, Dustin and Daniel, uh, we're going to lead from that stance. We're going to lead from, let's do this together. Uh, we never want any of our personal agendas or visions or beliefs to be so dug into the ground that we're not open to, to seeing how God works, right? Jesus led from a position of humility, and we want to do the same thing.
We want to just mirror that, and we're going to be committed to that as well. God's doing something special here at Impact, and I firmly believe it. So we have to humble ourselves before Him and maintain that humility and partner with one another. And I believe we'll see something amazing here. So one final thing uh, before we get going. If you've ever, if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, you've never truly humbled yourself before Him and fully recognized who He is and what He's done for you and for us, um, I want to give you guys that opportunity. Come talk to myself or Daniel. Um, we, those are the conversations that we desperately love to have. We'll have those conversations a thousand times, times a thousand, times a thousand, and so on forever. We are always honored to have those conversations. So if you've never truly submitted yourself to God, come talk to us. Um, you can also indicate it on uh, your connection card that Pastor Dustin talked about earlier in the welcome. Uh, we'll follow up with you this week. Uh, listen, I love y'all. I love Impact Church. And I think God's going to do some amazing things here for us. Let's pray together. God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that your word here in James 4 is, is very plain. It's very clear that we're not to fight amongst each other. We're not allowed or we're not, we're not supposed to allow our agendas and our selfishness stand in the way of what you have. So Lord, I pray that this morning as we just sit under you for just a moment. Lord, I pray that we would humble ourselves before you. We would understand how great of a God you are, how accomplished of a God you are. Lord, you created all things. You told the oceans where they could stop. Where, how far they could go. And if you can do that, Lord, we just pale in comparison. Not even a, a chance for anything like that. So God, I pray that this morning we'll realize that. But Lord, I also pray that this morning we'll realize too that you, you've called us and set us apart. prized possession of your creation. So much so, you loved us so much so that you sent your son to die for us. And I pray that right now, if there's anyone in this room who doesn't understand the fullness of what happened there, Lord, I pray that this morning they'll come talk to one of us. Lord, we love you. As we continue in this series and continue on here at Impact, just continue to give us a sense of unity. Continue to give us a sense of teamwork and hope for the future. And we commit to love you with everything that we have and to serve you. Because we know that you have greater things in store for us than we could ever come up with. So God, we're going to trust you for that. Bless us now and bless us as we go in just a few moments. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast. For this and other messages, visit us online at impactharlem.org. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share it with your friends on social media. Once again, thanks for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast.